0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see each one of you here this morning. I'm glad that you are here with us. Let me say also, um, even as uh, Pastor Jeff has, thank you to each of our veterans. Uh, thank you for your service. We are so we are so thankful for you. Um, I am thankful for the country that we live in. I, I will mention that here. I, well, I guess I might as well just talk about it a little bit right now. Think about this: part of your background, part of where you have come up, part of what is, makes you who you are. Um, you probably have a deep-seated love. Many of us would have a deep-seated love for our country, the freedoms that we have. Um, and, and that is something that is ingrained or hopefully brought up within you. Not everybody always has that. Some people don't, right? Um, and we know around the world, we aren't always a love people. That is going to be something that I think, as I, as I mentioned that, as we look at this um, part of Exodus here this morning, I think we have that in common. And that's deep-seated Beliefs that you hold to. But um, before I get to that, and I just want you to hold on to that, so a thank you to our veterans. But before I get to that, I got to pick on Mason a little bit um, because we are so thankful that Brad was here to play drums this morning. But how many of you, I I thought Dawn has offered numerous times, and I don't see any round of applause for Dawn. And uh, I, I don't know what's up with that. Dawn thought I was picking on her this morning. I said, No, I'm sticking up for you. I'm sticking up for you here. The block and all that good stuff, Don, you're, you're ready to go. Um, Every time that Don asks, character like this in the background. Okay, there's a no to that. There's, there's a no. All right. Um, now, now she came in to defend herself. Um, don't worry, Don, I'm still sticking up for you. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we'll just go with open mic hour. Could we get a could we get a mic? We'll just go open mic around everything like that. Is that is that good? Um, anyway, I I understood why because um, Dawn would not fit in the uh, boy band. I've requested <laughs> I've requested all white for them for next week. Um, anyway, anyway, I, I I I get myself in trouble and. Um, Soon there'll be tomatoes, chairs, something will be thrown at me, all of that, all of that good stuff there. But hey, we are glad that you are here. Um, by the way, you have an extra hour of sleep last night, or else you got up an extra hour early this morning. I was talking to one gentleman, got up an extra hour early. Don't fall asleep. You're not allowed to fall asleep if you got up early. You're like, oh, it's already close to my nap time. Maybe we're already hungry because we're there like it's a little bit hungry. But um, that, that extra hour, hopefully you, Hopefully that was a good, a good day for you there. Um, anyway. Let's get back onto what what is it that we're supposed to be? Oh, Exodus! Thank you. All right, we're back to Exodus. We're supposed to be we're supposed to be talking about something. Here. So we're in week three of this series that we are calling Exodus, and it's really um, as, as we look through it, we're trying to look at the story not only that took place there with the children of Israel, but we are also trying to look how does that relate? How does that how does that relate into yours and my life? Um, you see, all Scripture is God breathed; it's profitable, right? So how is it profitable? in yours, in my life. What are some of the examples? What are some of the illustrations? What are some of the things that we can learn from as we look at the book of Exodus? Well, um, Exodus, I just want you to know, as, as we read through this, and I, I know I mentioned week one a little bit more about the Old Testament and where we got it, the importance of that. If you would like, you can certainly go back and listen to the podcast of that. But I, want you to, I, I just want to reiterate this week. Exodus is written in a historical narrative form, And we believe that Moses wrote that. It is Moses that is narrating, it is Moses that is writing it. But as he writes in a historical narrative form, we want you to know that as we read that, we read that as a historical narrative. And and what do I mean by that? We, We are reading it as an account as to what took place. So as we go through this, Moses has given us the detail as to what it is that took place at this time, at this point in history. And we're looking at a time frame that's probably uh, roughly 1,200 years prior to Christ, somewhere, somewhere in that range, maybe 1,400, 1,444. I think is the range that we would look at for, for the exodus that is going to take place. All right, so, so 1,400 plus years prior to Christ is, what we're, is the time frame that we're looking at here with this. But it's a historical narrative and it's something that we can learn from and affect in our lives. And the reason that I talk about the deep-seated things that are in our lives, right? There's stuff that you believe, that you hold to, a love of your country, a love of those that have served our country, a love of the freedoms that we have, all right? That is something, what, what would it take for you to change that? We, we know that not everybody loves that. Or let's change it to, to, to something else. Let's go to, to go to your faith. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, all right, and if you were brought up, even let's put it a little more deep seated, if you were brought up in a Christian family, that is a belief that you have probably held, all right. You weren't a Christ follower when you were born, but mom and dad pushed that, and if you were saved at an early age, Christianity is something you believe in. What would it take for you to say, you know what, I no longer believe in God? What would it take? There are certainly atheists out there. There's the other side of the story. There's an atheist that says there is no God and don't believe in God. What would it take for them to change their belief and believe in a God? Um, let's take it to another step. Um, let's go with a little bit of a fun one here. Um, do you know there are people who are New York Giants fans? It's, 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 uh, it's unimaginable to be a New York Giants fan. Who would, who would be a New York Giants fan? What would it take in your life to get to get out of such a deplorable condition and root for a good team like the Philadelphia Eagles? What, well, yeah, um, deep seated things in your life that that grab onto you that that hold you. This morning, as we look at Exodus, we are going to be looking at a God who is changing a deep seated belief in His people. All right, the nation of Israel—they have been—they they they went down into Egypt about 400 years, 430, 440 years prior to what we are looking at this morning. And they have grown up and they became slaves down there. They have known, they've known nothing but slavery. all right. And this generation that we're talking about this morning, the generation that's going to come out, they have known nothing but slavery and hard work. And they are in a country, Egypt, that worships over 100 gods. Egypt worships all sorts of gods. So in their lifetime, they've heard about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but having heard about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their past, they're there like, that's, five, that's, that's hundreds of years, over 500 years before them for Jacob, all right, 400 and plus years for Jacob. And Abraham, you're going back even further. That's like us looking back and thinking of our founding fathers who were only 250 years ago, right, in and, and that range there, and saying, yeah, that was just recent for us, right? That's ancient history to us, it seems like, Right? For them, that's ancient history to talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For this generation that is in, that is in Egypt at this point of Exodus that we are looking at, they're looking back and they're saying, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob— I don't know where he is, but we would just like a God of us that might deliver us, that might help us out in this situation, because we're looking around, and we see everything in Egypt, they're all flourishing, they're all doing well, Egypt is the power of the world, their economy is doing well, and they're probably looking and saying, their economy is doing really well because we're here as free labor doing all the work for them. So they're a little bit frustrated, and they're they're like, what's going on? And into this, God is going to speak. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you have your phone, whatever it is, the device that you like to use, if you like to use your Bible, you want a device, I'd encourage you to take that out. We are going to be looking at Exodus chapter 5. Um, Not only are we going to be taking a look at Exodus chapter 5, we are going to be taking a look at Exodus chapter 6, Exodus chapter 7, Exodus chapter 8, Exodus chapter 9, Exodus chapter 10, 11, and 12. Now, the good news for you is that I was up in Syracuse yesterday. I stopped at a place called, called Glazed and Confused. Has anybody heard of it? It is called a yeah. There, it is called a donut shop, isn't it? It is not a donut shop. It is a sugar shop that has some donuts around the sugar that they serve, and they are tremendous. Now. The good news is, since we're covering so much information, that I ate at least a dozen of them, maybe more, and I, think that I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I think I might be a little bit hopped up in sugar, and I might be talking a little bit fast, but it's going to help us get through these 12 chapters of, or at least all these chapters of Exodus that we need to get through, through. And I really think that I'm perfectly fine, so I don't think there's anything wrong. All right, so there you go. So I'll, I'll talk really fast. You listen really fast, and hopefully we'll get through this. Um, we'll get through all these different chapters here. But as we look at Exodus, all right, I, I just want you to realize as we go through this story, God is revealing. God is making Himself known to His people, Israel. He is making Himself known to Pharaoh, and He is making Himself Himself known to Egypt. And we are going to close this morning. Um, We're going to close this morning by celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, together, because we believe that God has made Himself known to us, and we remember what it is that Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Um, So that's just this morning as we go through this message where we're going to go. But we're going to pick up Exodus chapter 5, and this is how it starts for us with this. And it starts with the word afterwards. And let's just start with that afterward right there. This is going back to last week when we talked about Moses. Moses saw the bush that was burning, and he went over to take a look. What's going on with that? And God called out to him, Moses, Moses. And he's there like, Moses, you are going to go, and you are going to deliver my people get ready Moses, this is what you are going to do. So God calls him and this is after God has called him, after the little back and forth has taken place, Moses is there like, no, you got the wrong guy. My life's going well here. Leave me alone. Go get somebody else. No Moses, it's you. Um, So after all of that, it is now time to go and address the situation as to what is taking place. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. So that they may hold festivals to me in the wilderness. Moses and Aaron step out and they go to Pharaoh, doing exactly what it is that God has told them to do. And what does Pharaoh say? Pharaoh said to them, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Right? 400 plus years earlier when Joseph came down, Joseph came down representing all right his people and his Lord was known, his God was known. 400 years later, 400 plus years later, Pharaoh's looking and he says, I don't know who he is and I don't need to know about him and you're not headed out. As a matter of fact, he continues on, uh, or excuse me, um, Moses and Aaron respond to him and they say, they said to him, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues. But the king of Egypt responds back, all right? He responds back to them and says, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. So Moses and Aaron approach, they come to Pharaoh, they make this statement that we need to leave and the king of Egypt says, pound sand. Literally, that's what they do. They're going to pound sand. And what is it? The situation in their life, Moses and Aaron doing exactly what they were called to do, what they were told to do. The situation for the Israelites becomes even worse. The rest of chapter 5 goes on to tell us that they are now made to make their bricks do what it is that they're doing, but they aren't going to, the Egyptians are no longer going to supply, give them the supplies, get the supplies for them. They have to keep up the same quota of work, they have to do the same amount of work, and they start getting treated worse. So naturally, the people respond to Moses and Aaron with a, hey, thank you guys, we really appreciate that you went into Pharaoh because that worked out really well for us. All right, our lives are even worse now. Thank you so much for what you did for us as they're being beaten more working harder. Days are longer. Yeah, that three-day journey out to worship, yeah, that's not going to happen. Thank you. The story continues on in Exodus chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Moses, wake up, take a look, because you are going to see with your own eyes. You are going to witness. You are going to be aware. You are going to see what it is that I will do. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of, his, out of this country. And there is going to be a work of God that has taken place because of his mighty hand that takes place throughout this story. If you read the entire story, you will see the work of God back and forth in this story. But it is a mighty hand that is going to take Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is going to drive him out of his country. Moreover, he continues, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with my outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God is in the process of redeeming his people. And that is where you and I intersect with this story as well, because God is still in the process of redeeming his people. He continues on here by saying, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You see, God views this as important, and he wants them to know, you will know that I am your God. A reminder, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ died for you. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. The nation of Israel has done nothing. They have done nothing. They have been slaves up to this point in time right here for this generation, right? And God says, I will be your God. You will know that I am your Lord. God is, interact, he is interceding on their behalf. He is redeeming them. What is the definition that we want to look at of redeeming even this morning? Release from bondage through the payment of a price. God is in the process. He is going to release them from their bondage. In chapter 7 of Exodus, the story continues on with this. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and, and your brother Aaron, Will be your prophet. So he's telling him, You are going to go back and you are going to continue to meet. You are going to continue to speak and you are going to be my mouthpiece. All right, Moses, you are worried that you can't talk. You are going to be my mouthpiece to Pharaoh. He is going to hear from you and you are going to be like God to him as you continue to speak to him. And he says, This you are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But God continues on. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. He's making it aware right there. Moses, there's going to be a little bit of a challenge here. You are going to continue to speak. Pharaoh, he is going to continue to harden his heart because I am working and I want something to be known here. And he continues on. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And what does he continue on and say? He says this, and the Egyptians will know, right? The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Before, what was it? The Israelites, Moses, they're going to know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians, they are going to know That I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. This is what the Lord says as he continues forward. By this you will know that I am the Lord. Do you think that that God is in the process of saying, I want people to know? You see, Egypt worships all kinds of gods. I want them to be aware that there is one Lord. Um, you as Israelites, you have grown up in a land where there, is only one, or where there are all these gods and you've seen nothing that's happened on your back. I want you to know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water. Again, this is Aaron that is speaking this. I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. All right, think about that. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron... All right, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and over the canals, over the ponds and over all the reservoirs, and they will turn into blood, uh, and blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as, the Lord had, just, as they had, just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, and he struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed to blood." The fish in the Nile, they die. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. God is in the process of proclaiming, you will know that I am the Lord. And the very first sign that he is going to give is this idea right here. He turns the the Nile into blood. The very life source of, one of the very life sources of water to Egypt, the river flowing through, so important to their economy, so important to their natural life, so important to everything they do, everything turned to blood. Think about that. You have a pot of water at home that you're going to use, blood. All right, you go out to the river to get fresh water, blood. The story continues to tell us that the people went down to the Nile and they would dr- dig next to it. They were looking for clean water that they could use, that they could drink. What is it that we need? We need something that is, that is clean. And what is God speaking into this? God is speaking in. Listen, you have a God of the Nile, happy? I want you to know, happy? I'm going to address this God. This is who you worship? You want to worship the god? these gods? No, no, no. I am the God continues on take a look at the list of the uh of the different plagues that are going to take place we're going to take just a brief look at frogs here in a minute gnats flies livestock boils hail locusts darkness we're going to come back to that list but the next one uh that takes place is frogs and they go and they let they let uh, pharaoh know moses and Aaron go pharaoh there's going to be frogs throughout the entire land we're going to we're going to send a plague of frogs they're going to be all over Uh, pharaoh's like nah you're not going to go out and you're not going to go out and worship and keep them there Frogs come up all across the land, all throughout the land. They look, to go, they look to go to bed. Frogs are there. They look to bake. Frogs are there. They look to sit down on the couch and relax. Frogs are there. They look to go out in the street. Frogs are there. Just think, do you like frogs? They're everywhere. Everywhere. When they finally, when they finally asked Moses to pray to God to get rid of them, this is what the passage says. They were piled up into heaps after they were dead, and the land reeked of them. Think of how disgusting that is. Just frogs everywhere. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, when he saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Another God, Hecate, of, um, of the Egyptians, proven right there, we don't want these gods. I, there is one God. You want to worship a God of these sort of things? This is what happens to them. I am the God of all. Let's go back to that list and take a look at the list as we go down through the different ones. Frogs. Uh, when we start with blood and frogs, I want you to know that the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians, he was some, they were somehow able to reproduce the blood. They were somehow able to reproduce with the frogs. It was God that delivered them. When it comes to the gnats, God, they were not able to reproduce that. That's very strange, but as you read through the story, it's strange that they were able to do blood and frogs, but now they're not able to keep up with God. And once the gnats, the gnats come over the entire land. This is this is what takes place. This is what the Lord said about that. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt, and the dust will become gnats. We hate gnats. Think about how they are. They're all over everything. And they did this. So Moses and Aaron did this. Um, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals." All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to do this, all right, when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and the animals and everywhere. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, all right, they go and they talk to Pharaoh. This is the finger. Of God. Those that had worked with Pharaoh, those that had been able to somehow do these other these other wonders, these other signs and wonders, they look and they say, Uh-uh, this one's the finger of God, Pharaoh. You need to understand there's something greater at work here. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. From the gnats, we go to flies, and from flies, we go flies everywhere. From flies, we go to livestock, and that is the Egyptian livestock dying. From there, we go to boils. Again, there's a dust up into the air, and boils come up on everybody. They have boils all over their skin. From boil, it goes to hail, which is just destroying the land. What's not destroyed there, locusts come up through, and they destroy again. And then darkness over the entire land, darkness The sun doesn't rise. The sun doesn't come up. Whatever it is, God creates darkness over the entire land of the Egyptians. And God is working. And people are seeing that there is something at work here. The Egyptians are seeing. Pharaoh is seeing. The nation of Israel, the children of Israel, they are seeing that there is something at work. God is attacking everything in Egypt. The gods that they worship, this is what we're going to do with them. Think about what this does to the economy of Egypt. Their economy is being destroyed by this warfare that has taken place between Pharaoh where he is holding back back the will of God and yet doing exactly what God has put in his heart to do. And in your life and in my life, we need to be aware that God will destroy. You see, these were all idols to them, but God will destroy every idol to show me he alone is God. What are the idols that you have in your life? What are the idols that I have in my life? We're smart. We don't worship the sun. We don't worship a river, the Susquehanna. Anybody go down to worship the Susquehanna recently? No? That seems strange. Maybe we'll have a worship the Susquehanna day coming up soon. Um, We don't, right? Shrek, apparently, he likes the snow. The rest of us are like, no, we don't want any of that. Keep that away. Um, But we're smart. We don't worship things like that. I mean, right? Right? We worship much more sophisticated things like fame, popularity, money. What do people think of me? I, I worship my image. I want to make sure people think well of me, right? What, what is this catches us? Sometimes it's education. Sometimes it's security. Sometimes it's family, you know, uh, right? We, we can worship a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we can put in the place of God. And God says, you know what? I'm looking to break those idols down, because I want you to know that I alone am God that I alone am God. That is what God is saying to us. He wants us to realize that He is God, that He is worthy, that He is deserving of our worship. What are the idols that need to be broken down and destroyed in our life? God broke them in the world, in the world of Egypt here. The Israelites who had only grown up seeing all these other gods, suddenly they're seeing a God that is going to. Redeem that is going to pull them out. The story continues in Exodus chapter 11. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out. Completely. There's going to be one more plague that takes place. I want you to be aware, Moses, one more thing is going to come. And I want you to know this one is going to be so severe. This one is going to be so great. He will drive you out completely. So, a little bit later, um, verse 4. So, Moses said, This is what the Lord says About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave. Who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be. God is establishing something new with his people, and he is letting them know. He goes down through the details here with Moses, and he wants him to hear the details. Moses, this is what you are going to tell your people to do. They are going to go and they are going to have to get a firstborn. They are going to have to get a a lamb without any blemish and they are going to bring them back. I want you to know I am going to go through the land of Egypt and I am going to kill the firstborn of everyone. The Israelites will be saved. They will be saved if they do what I tell them to do. And it is going to be something new that is established and it is going to be the Lord's Passover. It's going to be a new ceremony, a new thing for you to worship. Excuse me, not to worship, but for you to celebrate and for you to honor. The Lord's Passover is going to be something that takes place, and I want you to be ready for it. And in chapter 12 of Exodus, he goes down through and gives the instructions, gives as to what it is that is going to take place with the Passover, and when he goes down through there, he's giving them the details that this is going to be a new life for you. It is going to mark a new calendar for you. As a matter of fact, I want you to set apart. There's going to be a new calendar. You are going to become a new nation, and you are going to be coming out of here, and this is how I want you to go about doing it, and he gives them the details of this as to how they are to eat. Once they grab that lamb, once they take that lamb, and once they prepare it, and once they get it ready, he tells them this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Why does he want them to be ready? Because you need to be ready to go because when they wake up and they see that there is death all throughout their land, they are going to say leave and I want you to know you are leaving in abundance. You are headed out and we are going together. Eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The first celebration of the Passover is when they leave Egypt. The night that they get prepared, and the night they leave Egypt, on the same night I will, on the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. There was a work that is taking place that I want you to be aware that there are gods, and those are not gods. These Egyptians, the things that they worship, they are not gods. I am God. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. You see, God delivers Um, God God takes us, God desires that you and I, he desires, he wants you and I, and he desires to bring us out of slavery and into worship. God is in the process of bringing you out of the slavery that you have to sin. Just as these children of Israel that he is delivering there, he is pulling them out of the bondage, he is looking at you and I and he's saying, I will deliver you from sin. And here's the problem for some of us. We struggle because we look around and we say, but my sin's not that great. I'm not that bad, right? Really, I I haven't even been been arrested. As a matter of fact, I haven't even ever done anything where I should have been arrested. As a matter of fact, the few times that I've been in trouble, it was somebody else's fault. So see, I'm, I'm really pretty good. And that's our struggle that we think that we're good. But God is looking to deliver us. Why? Because sin gets a hold of us and it has a hold of us. It had a hold of the children of Israel and it pulled them. And they saw other gods, but God said, no, I will deliver you. And in your life and in my life, Sin wants to grab on. It wants to hold us. It wants to look just subtle, just worship a few small things. It's not really worship. It's just the concern about those things that we talked about before, whether it's image, fame, popularity, uh, money, finance, family, whatever it may be in our lives that catches us. But God says, let me change you. He desires to bring me out of slavery and into worship. Paul in Philippians says it this way. Right, Because he's talking about Christ. You see back here, God is delivering. But Paul, in talking about Christ, he says these words, therefore God exalted him. You see, God wanted to make his name known back then. Listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Who is that? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of our Father. You see, God is in the person of Jesus Christ in the deliverance of sending a Savior, Jesus Christ. He has said, this is the name that will be above every name. He will be known. He will be praised. Just as I wanted to exalt my name in Egypt, I will exalt the name of Jesus Christ in in the world today. And he will be a blessing to those that accept, to those that trust, to those that put their faith their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, God will destroy every idol to show me that he alone is God. Some of us, we want to build up and we want to hold those idols strong. And God desires to bring me out of slavery and into worship. He desires to bring me out of that slavery of, to sin that grabs on and holds on to me and bring me to worship him. Which brings us this morning to this opportunity and this time to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I encourage you to grab this. If you don't have one, if you, if you look back to the back, um, I, I believe that Reed will deliver one to you if you would like. Just look back there, give him a little wave or not, he'll bring you one. But um, we, are, we, are celebrating, we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I want you to know this celebration of the Lord's Supper actually comes right from this passage that we're looking at this morning. If you've been with us in the past, I've mentioned this idea, but this this passage right here, that's the Lord's Passover. That is what they celebrate on that night when they were together with Jesus in the upper room the night before he was, the night he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion. He is together and he sits down with his disciples and he says, this is my body. And the disciples look they're like, no, 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 it's not your body. This represents. This is a reminder of the 1,400 years ago when we came out of Egypt. It's a reminder of the body of the lambs that were the lambs that were slain, and their blood that was painted on. That's, that's what this is a reminder of. It's a reminder of that celebration. And Jesus was like, No, no, no. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when he took the bread, and he broke it, he looked around the table as the disciples. And he gave it to them. And in something that they didn't understand that night, they couldn't have understood it when he said that. They're looking and they're like, your your body, it's not your body. It's the lamb. We sang about that. Oh, the precious lamb of God. His body for us. And that's what this represents. So if you were here this morning, if you are a guest with us, if you're wondering why it is that we do this ceremony together, why is it that we take a little wafer and a little bit of grape juice? It's so that we're reminded, we're reminded on a regular basis, that we had a savior who saw that we were slaves. Like the children of Israel, slaves in Egypt, we were slaves to sin. And we have a God who knew that there was nothing that we could do on our own because we're separated from Him. And perfection was a qualification, and none of us are that. So He sent His Son into the world to give Himself, to give His life, to be that spotless Lamb that, there were, that had been a representative all those years earlier at the Passover, Jesus Christ. Presented as a spotless lamb. Crucified. So when he took his body and he broke it and he gave it, he said, this do in remembrance of me. And we do that this morning in remembrance of him. Take and eat. Scripture tells us that in the same manner, after they had taken the bread and eaten it, that Jesus took the cup. And again, the cup wasn't something that was to represent his blood, but rather it was to represent that of which had taken place 1,400 years earlier. And Jesus said, no, 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 this is my blood. As a matter of fact, Peter, who was there that night, he says it with these words, for you know, for you know, that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, right? Just as the nation of Israel had been redeemed out of slavery, we know that it wasn't with these sort of things that we were redeemed um, from the empty way of life that was handed down to us by our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, Peter may not have understood it that night when Jesus served it, but he understood it after his Savior had had been resurrected from the dead. He understood that, oh, he was the precious lamb. He was the one. He is the blood that is put above the door. What that blood was, the protection for the firstborn, for those that were in Egypt, for the Israelites that were slaves in Egypt. God is that protection. God is that Jesus Christ, through his crucifixion, is our protection He is the precious blood that was shed for us. So when we do this service, the Lord's Supper, this communion time together, we take not only of the wafer, but also of the juice. And we do so in remembrance of that which was given for us to free us from the slavery of sin. So Jesus looked, and he took the cup, and he said to him, Drink, each one of you, from it. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could come to know our Father. The Lord that delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, that is what he died, so that we could be saved through Jesus. And we are thankful for that. And we're reminded even this morning from the story of Exodus and God's deliverance of his people that you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you have been delivered from the sin that's with, that was ready to kill, hold you back, and, and keep us from God, from eternity with God. So we celebrate a Savior who is risen from the dead so that we may be freed from slavery, so we may be freed from death. Pray with me, if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, we say thank you. Um, Lord, even as we close out from this this ceremony, this remembrance, Lord, that we do in remembrance of you, that that God, it's not something that just suddenly popped up as an idea to do, but rather, Lord, it is a ceremony that you had established thousands of years, over a thousand years earlier. And as Jesus is worshiping there with his disciples, he's saying, guess what? This is me. Lord, I pray this morning. That those of us that are followers of you would just be reminded again as we do this ceremony that we are reminded of what our Lord and Savior did for us. God, if there is someone here this morning that is not a follower of Jesus Christ, I ask that you would continue to work in their heart, in their mind. Why, Lord? Because we believe that there is freedom from the penalty of sin through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we say thank you for that. God, I say thank you for each one that is here. I pray that you would bless, that you would encourage them. Lord, you bring us together as a body of people from different walks of life, different areas of life. Lord, may we encourage, may we encourage one another, may we be encouraged by the word of God. Lord, I pray this, that you would do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine through the power of Jesus Christ that that is at work in our lives and in your church. We say thank you, Lord, for him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen.